Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and joining us as always is Peter Sagel. You guys look like you could use a cupcake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Back recapping movies from 1999. Today, our selection is election. Get it? Because it rhymed. Are you going to rhyme the whole time? You just rhymed too. Yes, we will be doing this entire recap in rhyme. Peter, we didn't warn you. What do you got? That sounds terrible. This will be unbearable. <laughs> Uh-oh. No more rhyming. I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> we'll just end with the Princess Bride reference that it always ends with. <laughs> so I think we should just start with the IMDb synopsis because it's kind of perfect. This is a movie that is based on a book by Tom Parada. And it's about a high school teacher whose personal life becomes complicated as he works with students during the school elections, particularly with what is referred to as an obsessive overachiever determined to become a student body president. That sounds about right. Although I found out something myself doing my usual post-viewing research is that the novel itself by uh, Tom Parada Mm -hmm. was based on another relatively well-known novel called What Makes Sammy Run? which was written by Bud Schulberg back in like the 50s about this incredibly ambitious young guy in the in the movie business named Sammy Glick. Mm. Huh, so Sammy Glick becomes huh. Tracy Flick. Something I didn't know even though I read that novel years ago. That's wild. I had a weird panic when I started watching the movie on Thursday where I was like, oh God, I haven't read this book. Do I need to figure out if I can read this book before Monday? You did. I can confirm that you did text me everything you just said (laughs) in a panic while watching it over the weekend. (laughs) I was like, what do I do? Yes, it's it's provable. She told people at at the moment, (laughs) contemporary. Well, and it's just very on brand to be like, but if there's a book, I must read it first so that I can say it's better. Well... (laughs) Well, and a lot of his stuff has been adapted because he also wrote The Leftovers and Mrs. Fletcher, both of which have become series. So he's one of those he's one of those writers who Hollywood just loves, and usually to good effect. I mean, I, The Leftovers is one of my favorite TV shows ever. Yeah, yeah his good. stuff is super adaptable. This is a great um, movie. Uh, anyway, go on. This is a great movie, and I pulled a lot of clips. Well, Justin pulled a lot of clips. Let's be real. Uh, and I look forward to listening to all of them. But there's one that I just feel like would would start this recap off very well so let's let's listen to this first <laughs> does this not happen in your guys' brains all the time <laughs> they go to that music cue a lot um and apparently it's it's from another movie but they, they use it at uh, all the time in moments of high stress, which I think for is very Tracy. funny. For Tracy. Yes, in for Tracy. Yeah, it is the sound of her sort of like going into that fuzzy, disconnected, like, I don't know how the man ended up murdered on the floor. Right? <laughs> it's like when she's like seeing like white rage or... Well, it's not even necessarily white rage. It's also just like, oh God, something happened that I had not anticipated. Like, I think oh. the first time we hear it is when we see the poster for her opponent, Paul Metzler. He's running for student in body the lunchroom all yeah. sitting there all smiles yep. and she's like Wah! 
I don't know. I just like that music. I just think it's hilarious. Every time it made me laugh so hard. It is. It is very funny music. It's like a little bit like the music you would hear maybe at the pivotal moment in a Western where it has a, like a yes. flavor of, all right, high noon kind mm-hmm. of thing. But only she knows it's high noon because nobody else cares about the stuff she cares so much about. Right. Although to me it was more like the like the the, the climax of a horror movie. It reminded me more of like you know it's the psycho. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so funny, and the fact that it's so dissonant, it's I just think it's hilarious. So I'm getting the sense that you two you you two ladies liked this movie. I'm very glad to hear it. I I mean loved it. What did you think, Trisha? It was uh. It's good. I, I get why people like this movie a lot. I felt like I was worried in the first 12 minutes that it was going to feel dated and how it treated the relationship between the high school girl and her teacher mm. because there's like a whole setup that basically makes it seem like I literally paused. I was like, okay, it's about 12 minutes in and they haven't said that maybe a grown man shouldn't right, rape a teenager. Okay. Yeah. And they, and then they eventually like he gets fired and there are repercussions because it's like, okay, yeah, no, this isn't just like a cute thing for a teacher to have a relationship with their student. And then once we got through that, I could like, it was an uncomfortable movie then in fun ways because Matthew yeah. Broderick's character is uncomfortable in really hilarious ways to watch as opposed to the teacher who she sleeps with at the beginning or sort of in the, the, the sort of prologue almost of the movie that I was like, oh, this is kind of hard to watch. It be sort of portrayed as this, you know, uh, minxy, teenage girl is going to take down this high school teacher this poor sweet man who you know is somehow uh, a victim of a teenage girl's seduction oh I was like, no it, it was heading there <laughs> in a way that i was like not cool with and then it kind of danced with that idea still through the rest of the movie yeah the the relationship uh i mean you could you could write books upon the relationship between matthew broderick and renee witherspoon's character and a lot of Reese. it is repressed sexual rage Reese witherspoon what did i say renee Renee. Sorry, Reese Witherspoon. Sorry about that. <laughs> I can retake that. Or you can make me look dumb, Should whichever you prefer. It? Let's jingle it. <laughs> the wisdom of the ages wrapped up in the body of a short ball game show host. It's fun when you sing along to him. I know. Well, I, I like them. <laughs> anyway, go on, please. I actually, I, I, I'm for the first time ever, I am much more interested in hearing what you people have to say than in going on myself. <laughs> so just to clarify, for people who haven't seen this yet, Reese Witherspoon plays Tracy Flick, and she's sort of like a young, hyper-ambitious person who really wants to win student body president. And she also had, like, earlier in her high school career had an affair with the math teacher, right? Yeah, he's he's the math teacher. Played, played he's, he's Matthew Broderick's character's best friend. He's played by an mm-hmm. actor named Mark Harlock, who I happen to know is actually an excellent playwright. But anyway, hmm. moving on. Hmm. Um and and yes, so th- that sort of sets up, that's the reason that we find out that Matthew Broderick doesn't like, or at least he tells himself he doesn't like Tracy Flick, is that she was involved with him and ended his life and his marriage and his career and everything else. And even though, obviously, as Matthew Broderick says to the guys, says, this is terrible, you are making a terrible mistake, you are the person responsible, you know, deep in his heart, he just resents resents Tracy Flick for being, I don't know, a temptress. And he's also kind of tempted himself. I think Matthew Roderick's character says the great line of like his friend who gets caught up in this inappropriate uh, relationship is the guy who became a high school teacher because he never wanted to leave high school. Never wanted to leave high school, Mm -hmm. right. And that's a very self... And just like, I love how self-aware that line is and setting that up as like a part of the problem here. 
um, right from the start that also Mr. M has, I think, because he's just too emotionally invested in what goes on in the school. Uh, this is the question that I am, I am really eager to ask you to, which is speaking to two intelligent uh, women who were intelligent young women who apparently were all that in high school as well. What did you guys think of Tracy Flick? Trisha Bobita? I felt uncomfortable at certain points in the movie because I realized that like in some ways from the outside, I probably read a little bit like a Tracy Flick. <laughs> Do you think? Uh, yeah. She was in the yearbook staff. <laughs> well, I mean, I never thought of myself, like Reese is just like so classically beautiful, right? And this is not me being self-deprecating. It's just a fact that like she is movie star pretty and there's nothing about her character in this movie that makes her anything but that. It's not like a, a makeover movie where like she gets her eyebrows plucked and her hair straightened yeah. two thirds <laughs> of the way through and then she's beautiful. And like Freddie Prince Jr. likes her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's like polished and, and pretty the whole time. Um and as her teacher says, like being that and good at anything else makes people uh, makes her lonely because it makes her seem unapproachable and, and she doesn't have any friends. I didn't feel like I was a loner in school, but I was like super ambitious and in all the clubs. I was on all the pages of the yearbook, which I also edited kind of busy at school. I didn't but know I that, but I knew it. <laughs> you knew I that. knew it. <laughs> But but also, as I've said during our, our Clueless and other recaps, I didn't really go to high school. I covered it <laughs> because I was doing student journalism the whole time. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I felt like there were things about it that I recognized, but also I, my internal monologue never sounded like hers. I, I have no doubt. You're, you're a very different kind of person, but there was, did you have any sympathy for her? One of the things I love about this movie is every character, major character, gets to narrate, and they're all pretty much clueless about what they're doing and what they're really feeling. They're constantly lying to themselves and lying to us as they narrate. And so Tracy, who presents both to everybody around her and to us in her narration, says, I'm really confident, I'm really happy, uh, you know, I'm doing, as she, as, she, as she says in one hilarious scene, I'm doing God's work on Earth. <laughs> but you... <laughs> I la I, this may have been the funniest movie we've recapped yet, which I did not I anticipate. So yeah, I thought it was and hilarious. I constantly lol throughout this movie, and even more than the <laughs> even more than the ostensible comedy, Clueless. Um, but at the same time, she's so lonely, and she's so isolated, and she keeps saying things. Well, I don't have a lot of friends, but that's okay. I have more important things to do. And and you, I end up. I think I did when I first saw it, but I certainly do now. Feeling a great degree of sympathy for her. Mm -hmm. especially that amazing, when you get to that amazing, you, you hardly get to see her mother ever. Yeah. But there's that scene after mm -hmm. she thinks she's lost the election where her mother is consoling her, offers her her pills. Here, take some of my pills. God knows what they are. Zoloft, Xanax, who knows? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. she says, well... Maybe you needed more posters, honey. Or if you'd just taken my suggestions about your speech... Maybe you should have taken my advice about your speech. We'll talk about it later. And at that moment, you understand everything that's been bearing down in this poor girl her whole life. So did you guys feel any sympathy for her? Well, I think it also speaks to the idea that, like, nobody likes an ambitious woman. Right. You know, and yeah. I think you see that very clearly in her character because we're so many people, including Matthew Broderick, right, are just annoyed by the mere fact of her asking for things right and i thought she was great 
I she was tenacious. She was funny. She obviously was having a tough time, but like, yeah, I mean, I ordered a pick flick button. I'm going to put it on my <laughs> fridge. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Um, we actually got a voicemail about this that I thought was really interesting. And it kind of speaks to the passage of time since 99. Also, this is Russell. Hey, Nerdette, it's Russell calling in from Virginia, and I'm calling in about Election. I saw that movie when I was 15, right when it came out, and um, I think I hated Tracy Flick right along with Matthews Broderick's character. I think most people did. I didn't think too hard about it because I was 15. But last year, I was reading New York Times, and I saw an article that was called What America Gets Wrong About Tracy Flick. And I made the active decision to stop reading right there just go back and watch the movie and i gotta tell you watching that movie as a 35 year old man was a very different experience the 30 something men in that movie behave horrendously like horribly criminally bad and then when their behavior has consequences the amount of self-pity they feel it's just kind of eye-opening for a fellow 30 something white man um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I love it when a movie makes me the sucker, kind of opens my eyes to the ways that maybe I think that without realizing it, and election took 20 years to do it, but I'm glad it did. Thanks for doing the show, really enjoying it, and have a great day. The only thing I have, um, the only difference I have with that caller is when I saw this movie, I was already in my mid-30s, so I didn't need to journey <laughs> to that level of self-awareness. <laughs> I was right there. And the self-pity that these men feel for themselves is intense. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, one of the, I, I, all right, one of the reasons I love this movie, I basically have two criticisms of movies. One is when people just act dumb in a way that people wouldn't really act in whatever situation of stress they're under, and I'm like, oh, come on, they're all acting like idiots. I can't watch this movie. And the other kind of movie is depicting people acting dumb in the way that people really do. And that mm-hmm. movie, I say, I love this movie because they are all idiots. And this is one of those movies. The, the, especially Mr. McAllister, Matthew Broderick's character, is an idiot. But he's an idiot in such a recognizable human way. He, he doesn't have any idea what he's actually doing. He denies he's doing things even as he does them. He thinks he's in love with his neighbor. I yeah. I said last week that this is a horror movie for middle-aged men. Maybe that's an overestimate. Men <laughs> yeah, in their thirties. Yeah, it was interesting <laughs> thinking about that while watching it because, like, I he's not a victim of much. Oh no, Roderick, absolutely you know? not. Like, it was interesting thinking about the idea of it being a horror movie for middle-aged men because it's like this dude, like, he puts all that shit on himself. You know, like, yes, it's all his own fault in, in in a weird way you could you could i mean there's a lot of things going on in the movie uh, we haven't even talked about the two other major characters the other candidates but mm-hmm. you could describe this movie as as like a sh- a comic tragedy about the self-destruction of a good man or at least someone who thinks of himself constantly as a good man even at the end of it he still thinks he's a good guy and you just watch him stumble and stumble and fool himself and lie to himself in a way that people do as he falls prey to the usual suspects, mainly sex and anger and resentment. And he just lies to himself constantly about all of them. And I'm like, yes, that is humanity. 
I don't know, though. That's like <laughs> shitty humanity. I, I like to think that we could aim higher. We, we you know? could, but we mostly fail. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I was going to say, not everybody in this movie is an idiot. Tammy gets exactly what she Tammy's wants. Tammy's great. Well, both of the Metzlers actually are pretty innocent. Right. Neither of them is as does yeah. anything as questionable as any oh of absolutely but when, when we meet tammy she's like oh we're absolutely in love and we're soulmates with this girl she's been having this sort of quasi same-sex flirtation with we're soulmates we'll spend our lives together and you're like oh you poor girl so did, i mean it, it seems generally true that most of the people in this movie at least at some point do something really really stupid even though they're smart people i think the difference is is that it makes Mr. M just on equal footing with these teenagers who, again, you know, thinking back to Clueless and, and other movies about high schoolers, Tammy's the smartest one and she's what, a sophomore? Yeah. So she's like 14 or 15? Yeah, she's not even 16. I overestimated it. Yeah, so so she's, you know, uh, 20 years younger than Mr. M and seems to be able to, like, plot her revenge in a more sophisticated way than he ever could because she's you know and not even revenge just like she gets what she wants she gets you know uh, she sabotages the election she gets to go to catholic school with all the girls and she wins like she wins this movie yeah um and paul was never really nothing was ever at stake for her brother paul and so he didn't lose anything because they were you know he's just too kind of sweet and dumb he's sort of like the bobby newport of the, this race Explain that reference uh, Paul Rudd's character who runs against Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec. In Parks and Rec. Oh right, thank you. Yes, I love that guy. Who's Didn't just like who literally is like, hey Leslie, I'll vote for you. <laughs> in fact, if if you don't vote for me tomorrow, you should vote for her because she's super super awesome lady, Leslie. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it, it yeah. is weird in a movie that was made, we presume, by brainy guys and based on a book written by a brainy guy that the, the that the jock is like this absolutely pleasant, nice man who who not only loves his bizarrely complicated and hostile sister, but votes for Tracy yeah. Flick because that's the nice <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> So we have a bunch of clips. I don't want to get too uh, far ahead of ourselves. We have a little bits of all of the campaign speeches, which I think are very important to listen to. But I want to start actually kind of more towards the beginning, which is when uh, Tracy is reflecting on Matthew Broderick's character, Jim. Now that I have more life experience, I feel sorry for Mr. McAllister. I mean, anyone who's stuck in the same little room, wearing the same stupid clothes, saying the exact same things year after year for his whole life, while his students go on to good colleges and move to big cities and do great things and make loads of money. It's got to be at least a little jealous. I noticed it was a little low for you. It's like my mom says, the weak are always trying to sabotage the strong. <laughs> it's just so good. Partly... What did make me want to read the book is, you know, I think a lot about how books are adapted into movies. And like often what's really tricky is to get that internal dialogue across in what is inherently a much more visual medium. And I thought and obvious I assume the book takes place like has all of the different perspectives of the different characters similarly to how the movie does. And I thought it was very like often that can feel really heavy handed in the movie version where it's like, oh, God, OK. But like I thought the voiceover like I thought it worked really well. And, and I think I know why. One of my favorite things in this earth is uh, unreliable narrator books, um, you know, books in which the narrator isn't telling you the whole truth or is knowingly or unknowingly lying about the story they're telling. 
Um, Pale Fire by Nabokov is one of the greats. There are other ones. There's a the book called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie, which is an amazing book. I'll just tell you to go read it. And, and this is one of the only movies I know in which it has unreliable narrators in a movie, in which what they're telling you about themselves and about even about other people isn't necessarily true. And you get so much wonderful tension between seeing what's going on and listening to what the characters say about it. I, that's one of the reasons the movie's so funny is because people are not only lying to themselves about what they're doing, but they're lying to us. And I just love it. <laughs> so let's listen to another clip. Here is Mr. McAllister when he has decided he can't stand Tracy and he has figured out who could run against her in the student body election. And he's trying to talk Paul into it. Student, council, president. Oh, me? Oh, no. I, I don't know anything about that stuff, Mr. M. And I mean, besides, that's Tracy Flick's thing. She's always working so hard. At yeah, it. no, she's a real go-getter, all right. And she's super nice. Yeah, yeah. But one person assured of victory kind of uh, undermines the whole idea of democracy, don't you think? Well, Mr. M... I mean, that'd be more like a, a dictatorship, like we studied. But, Mr. M, there's... Paul, what's your favorite fruit? Pears. Pears, good. Okay. Wait, no. Let's say... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> apples. Apples. No, right. no, apples. Let's say all you ever knew were apples. Apples, apples... More apples. You might think apples were pretty good, even if you got a rotten one once in a while. But then one day, there's an orange. And now you can make a decision. Do you want an apple, or do you want an orange? That's democracy. I also like bananas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's funny, even in clips it's, it's funny. Good. It's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, we did get a great note from listener Heath who compared Chris Klein's character, Paul, to a golden retriever, which I think also fits yeah. in the yeah. Newport thing, right? Where it's just, which is also kind of refreshing because so often the jocks are the bad guy right. in a movie like this. I, I'm just thinking about how much I love all of Paul's narration <laughs> because it really does have that sort of golden retriever thing yeah. where he's like, and then I don't really know why, but a really great thing <laughs> happened to me. And I was happy and about it. it. Like, he's just such a cheery... <laughs> Uh, uh, ob like oblivious, like. But also, you're right. He's so sweet with his sister, his like surly mm -hmm, younger sister. Mm -hmm. He's like, can't we all be friends and get along? And he's just, yeah. At first, I was like, this guy doesn't have much depth. And then I started to appreciate how little depth he yeah, had. It's, yeah, it's, sometimes it's nice to have not too much depth. It's, it's if only everybody true. else didn't have any depth, everything would have been fine. <laughs> well, and just like to have somebody who's like so not self-conscious because I think, you know, especially as a teenager, but let's be honest, even now, like I live in my head to a degree that is almost debilitating, whereas Paul does not. That makes me want to play that music again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this is not happening in Paul's head. There's no, no way. <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> After the break, we're going to listen to some of the amazing candidate speeches in this film because they are excellent. And then we're also going to, you know, reflect on some of our own speeches from the past and we'll hear about yours.
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So did y'all pick up on that clip we played of Reese? You can hear she's got this weird accent going. Did y'all notice that? No, I didn't. And it took me a while because I was like, are do they are they trying to be like, is this a Minnesota accent situation? But it turns out the movie takes place in Omaha. Right. It's like very much mm-hmm. Omaha. And we got a really great voicemail from Kiki all about Omaha. Hi, this is Kiki from Lawrence, Kansas. I had never heard of election until I started dating my husband, who is from Omaha. The first time I met his parents, they spent about an hour driving me around Omaha, showing me where Alexander Payne lives or where his mom lives, um, where Warren Buffett lives. Uh, They showed me the high school that Alexander Payne went to and that the guy who plays Hunter in the office went to. Um, It's the same high school my husband went to, but they didn't mention that. Uh, my husband knows a ton of people that auditioned for this movie. And this weekend when I asked him to watch it again, he spent most of the movie pointing out people he knew in the background and explaining to me where a lot of the locations in the movie are. I think I like Citizen Ruth better. Thanks. Bye. Citizen Ruth was Alexander Payne's first movie. Uh, uh-huh. and Alexander, I haven't seen it. Yeah, and Alexander... Well, I haven't either, but I'm told it's quite good. Uh, and Alexander Payne, who, as we just heard, is from Omaha, shoots <laughs> a lot of his movies in and around Nebraska. He he made the movie Nebraska and about Schmidt, mm. which takes place in Nebraska. Um, he also made Sideways, which is one of my very, very favorite movies. Mm-hmm. It's in Southern California, of course. Uh, and that actually really helps the movie that it's shot in so many real locations. It was shot in a real Omaha high school. In fact, one of the bits of trivia I read was that the basement of Mr. McAllister's house is actually someone's real basement <laughs> and they didn't change anything. They were like, this is a Nebraska basement. This will do it. Exactly. And it's weird. And I don't know what it means that it, that seems like it, it feels so real and not Hollywood that it kind of, again, improves the quality of the movie. And, and I also, we've talked about this in regard to like other high school movies we've talked about. They all look like high school students. I don't know how old Reese Witherspoon was, but she seems age appropriate, as does uh, Chris Klein and everybody else, which I think mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. it really, again, helps because it's about, as I keep saying, real people doing real stupid things. <laughs> By real there, I meant authentic, authentic stupid things. Not <laughs> Reese would have been in her early 20s at that ah, point. Well, nonetheless, she, she seemed She's age tiny. appropriate. Yeah, well, yeah. and she clearly doesn't think of herself as a child right no it's that it's that thing of like i'm and when the principal basically shouts at them during the assembly he says exactly that where he goes like yeah you're acting like like children yeah if you want to be treated like adults act like adults otherwise we're going to treat you like children because you're being children and he just (laughs) says adults and children like 14 times in like three sentences So that's perfect because I want to listen to some of these speeches. We didn't pull all of Tracy's speech because it's a little long. Um, but let's see who goes first in the movie. Is it Tracy who goes first? Tracy. Tracy, alphabetically. Yeah, Tracy goes first and then Paul and then Tammy. Oh, right. Okay, so let's start with the ending of Tracy's speech and then we can listen to Paul's and Tammy's. I care about Carver and I care about each and every one of you. 
and together we can all make a difference. When you cast your vote for Tracy Flick next week, you won't just be voting for me. You'll be voting for yourself and for every other student here at Carver. Our days might not be any longer, but they can sure be better. Thank you. It's a great speech. It's, it's, like, it's a great speech. It's a textbook kind of like she did all of the things that you're yes. supposed to do in a nice Start with campaign. a quote. Exactly. You could just feel the hours of effort she put into it to get it yes. perfect. And to, and you yes. could see her rehearsing it in a mirror and you don't need to know that she did. She did. Right. And I feel like I know exactly what her handwriting yes. is mm-hmm. too. Do you think mm-hmm. she has little circles for just... uh, 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 to dot her eyes or is that is No, that, that takes too much time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, but when she signs her name, she puts a star over the eye. Because oh. she signs Paul's nomination form and adds a little star. <laughs> Okay, so then after Tracy is Paul, and Paul walks up, and the mic had been set to the right height for Tracy. Right. And Paul is, I don't know, probably about a foot taller than Tracy is. So he hunches over the mic really awkwardly, <laughs> and, and he's kind of bending at his waist for some reason, and he pulls out this little, like, scrap of well, paper. Because his, his, he, can't, he can't bend his knee because it's in the weird cast yeah. all the time. <laughs> That's true. Only I bend that really does make sense. So now, and this is this is what Paul says. As many of you know, I broke my leg pretty bad this year, and the experience has made me reevaluate what I want to do with my life, and that is help people. When you think about it, a school is more than a school. It's our second home where we spend all our time and grow as individuals and a community. But is our school everything it could be? I want our school to reach its true potential. That's why I'm running for president. I know what it is to fight hard and win, like when we almost went to state last fall and I threw the fourth quarter pass against Westside for the touchdown that won the game by three points. I won't let you down like I didn't then. I promise we can all score a winning touchdown together. Vote Paul Metzler for president. Thank you. There's it's something about so... the deep breath in the middle of the run-on sentence. Do you know what's great? It's so good. You know what's great though <laughs> is if 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 he actually had read that like you know like a normal person who's trying right, to like right. speak in public might have. It's actually really nice and it's well, sincere. That's why the is so perfect. And 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 like his his comparison is just like when I threw that pass and that could read as like oh hey guys I'm your football star remember me no that's how he thinks. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I threw that yeah. pass and I really didn't let my team down and, and that's how I'm going to be. And, and you're like, what a nice guy. What an utterly nice, clueless guy. Mm-hmm. So after Paul, the nice guy, and <laughs> it's worth noting there's like dead silence oh, after yeah. that too. Oh yeah, because people are like, oh God, like, that was terrible. Oh, this is weird. <laughs> so from there, Paul's little sister, Tammy, comes up. She is running solely to get back at Paul for kind of stealing her girlfriend, even though Paul doesn't realize that he had anything to do with that because he's so clueless. Yes, he's so clueless. He doesn't understand that happened, which yes. I also love about he him. He just thought they were good Yeah, friends. all of a sudden she's like giving me a blowjob. I don't know why. <laughs> it like, was great. And exactly. The golden retriever <laughs> monologue of like, and then we were in the hot tub, which was kind of cool. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I was worried about the hot tub with the cast, but that's another <laughs> You're very kind, Greta. Always... <laughs> Always caring about people's like, that rehabilitation. Seems like a That's a bad very nice idea. Of you. Well, and we should say not just getting back at Paul, but getting back at Heather, who is his campaign manager, basically. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so here's Tammy's speech. Who cares about this stupid election? 
We all know it doesn't matter who gets elected president of Carver. Do you really think it's going to change anything around here? Make one single person smarter, or happier, or nicer? The only person it does matter to is the one who gets elected. The same pathetic charade happens every year. And everyone makes the same pathetic promises, just so they can put it on their transcripts to get into college. So vote for me, because I don't even want to go to college. And I don't care. And as president, I won't do anything. <laughs> the only promise I will make is that, if elected, I will immediately dismantle the student government so that none of us will ever have to sit through one of these stupid assemblies again. Is it libertarian? Or don't Is vote it... for me. Who cares? Don't vote at all. Who cares? Don't vote at all. Don't vote at all. <laughs> can, can I tell you guys something that you may or may not believe? I gave that speech. <laughs> I, who had no interest, this is all true, when I was a junior in high school, I had no interest in student government, but decided to run for vice president on a whim. And I gave basically that speech. I said, this is all nonsense. It's all ridiculous. It doesn't matter. It, and, and that's and, what got you into Harvard. Uh, pretty much. And that's, that, <laughs> so that's, I didn't have, and I, although I was not uh, threatened with, I wasn't suspended. I was taken into the principal's office and read uh, the, the disciplinary code. Just so you know, mm. this is what we can mm. do to you, Peter. Uh, mm. But I didn't have Tammy's commitment. I did not get myself expelled. Uh, in, as a form of rebellion, I eventually, I eventually uh, took the narrow path and kept padding my resume and went off to a fine college. But how many minutes has it been since Peter's <laughs> mentioned Harvard? What a colossal tool! I just want to point out, I did not mention Harvard. It, I, I was Reddit did. Mention Harvard. That's true. <laughs> just wanted that. No one. I've never mentioned that to anybody in like. Thirty years, but how, I thought I'd bring did, it up now. How did people respond to it in the they moment? They loved it. Yeah, they, they exactly for the same reason. Because <laughs> everybody's pleaser. sitting there going, "What bullshit? What bullshit? This is bullshit that yep. we got to do. Yep. We hate this." And to, for some, and and you know, <laughs> she had the same instinct that I guess I have, which is like, you could be very popular if you just pointed out the obvious. Yeah, <laughs> and it it's really dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, speaking of speeches, we got a great voicemail from Ariane. Let's listen to it. Hey, y'all, it's Ariane here. So I have a lot to say about election because I feel like this movie was the first movie to let me know just how evil people can be when huh. they want to bring a bright young woman down. So Tracy was just smart. It wasn't her fault that she was really smart. And as someone who was always told myself that I needed to stop raising my hand because I knew all the answers, it wasn't my fault that I knew all the answers. But anyways, I digress. As someone who also, um, you know, did not, was not elected senior class secretary, when I really deserved it um, because of a speech snafu where I had a slight speech impediment. And when I was trying to say that we were going to have a very successful year, it sounded like I was saying we're going to have a very sexful year. And um, yeah, that was probably the most embarrassing day of my young life at the time but anyways 
I understand Tracy Flick, and so maybe that's why I just love this movie. Um, and it was just really great. So, yeah, that's my take. I am amazed. That's a great voicemail. I'm amazed <laughs> that that young woman was not elected uh, by acclamation after making that mistake in her speech. <laughs> I, I, my memory of high school is everybody would have really excited a sexful year, but, you know, maybe they weren't <laughs> didn't want to be that overt. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like losing a student council election when you're uh let's say you lean towards a Tracy on the spectrum of Tracy to not Tracy. Tracy to Tammy. Can be a pretty formative <laughs> Yeah. Can be can be pretty uh with Paul as neutral somehow, like he has no pH. Uh-huh, yeah. Chaotic neutral. <laughs> um but like I lost the eighth grade student council election. Oh my god. And it changed me. <laughs> it was the first time that I didn't get a thing that I set out to get in a, like a meaningful microphone. way. Like I, I kind of almost don't want to go into it because it's it's still kind of painful. You're you're wow. among friends, Trisha. You can tell us. Well, here's what I what I'm nervous to say is that I still think that the person who won was kind of voted for as a joke because he was a very sweet but very odd and and nerdy guy, and it just didn't it didn't super make sense to me that people were voting for him like earnestly he wasn't like the quote popular kid or whatever and so I was both indignant that I had lost and worried that that, like it was some sort of kind of mean joke that people were playing on him to elect him I will say he's doing great now we're Facebook friends he's very successful and very good at computers and (laughs) like you know so he's doing fine I feel like I'm doing fine we're both doing fine but that was I would love to talk to him about it actually because (laughs) I was the kid who, like, teachers wrote in my yearbook, like, you're going to be president one day because I was super into politics. You got to remember, I'm I'm in eighth grade in, like, 2000, so, like, Bush v. Gore is happening. I'm, like, super into politics and, and came from a family where, like, you debated, you know, politics over dinner and breakfast and lunch and, and all of that. So I really, like, was really into it and lost. Wow. <laughs> Really, that that that, that turned you that yeah. sort of changed the course of your life. Yeah. Well, at that point, you can't run if you're covering it. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I moved to journalism. Wow. Wow. You decided yeah. to to move to the sidelines and watch the action. This is see. This mm-hmm. is this mm-hmm. is why I was so interested in what you thought of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> because both of you have some have some Tracy Fleck in you. Am I wrong, Greta? What do you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I did have a button maker. I loved it very much. What kind of buttons did you make? <laughs> uh, not campaign buttons, just like cool ass buttons of stuff huh. from magazines. Right. Obviously. <laughs> did, did did you Greta have any uh, ambitions like this? When were you like a, a a go-getter, an achiever, a resume patter in high school? No, I did not. I did not play that game. No. Like I applied to one college early admit and just called it a day. So I wasn't no, it all just seemed like it didn't actually matter, so it was not worth my time. Wow, you're more you of know. a Tammy then. In some ways, I was more of a Tammy, yeah. Right, wow. See, I wouldn't have put you as a Tammy, but there you are. <laughs> I know, right? We all have our pasts. Exactly. A lot of people, including Barack Obama, mm-hmm. consider this a movie about politics. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. That this, Barack Obama once said, this is my favorite movie about politics. Is it really? Is it really a movie about politics? Because I don't think so. What do you guys I think? I mean, how do you not see the parallels between Paul and Tracy 
and, you know, other ambitious women who have run against seemingly unqualified men. Really? You see that parallel? You see Tracy oh you see Tracy sure. you see Tracy as a Hillary Clinton figure and Paul as a Oh God. Really? I think it's a pretty interesting parallel huh. to consider. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's Elizabeth Warren has a plan, but that's kind of boring to listen to. So you know what I mean? It's Yeah, it's- what about just a charmer? Yeah. You know? And yeah, I think I I don't think the Paul Trump analogy is super. I think Tracy and Hillary is like a pretty easy connection to make. Yeah, nothing nothing in all of fiction really compares to the current moment. Yes, that's true. We discussed that back when we were talking Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think I think a lot of what's fascinating about this movie is that it's about how unlikable ambitious women are. Huh. Well, and to to bring it back to a more contemporary example also Greta I think you've said this before that you know knowing people who work in DC they say the most realistic sort of political TV show is Veep which is just kind of about how petty everyone is and how we would like to think that maybe the world of politics is written by Aaron Sorkin and everyone has all these lofty ambitions and they're trying their best but really it's a lot of power hungry people who are pretty petty and that's what this movie is about people making really petty decisions and privilege also being like the main factor in who gets put on the ballot when it's Paul and he's the rich, popular kid for no other reason than he's rich and popular because, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's got huge parallels to the ridiculousness of the way our political system works. Well, and the fact that it comes down to these two votes in the trash can, right? I yeah. Mean, well, yeah. The, 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 the reason I think, I mean, I guess, I mean, everything you just said is absolutely true. I got, I got no argument with any of it. I, I wonder about like, making Tracy Flick a stand for some a stand in for someone like Elizabeth Warren and and I say this as a, as a real fan of Elizabeth Warren Tracy is kind of awful and and and, and so why? I don't know if it maps to say oh this is what happens to ambitious women yes Tracy is very ambitious Tracy is also awful and 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 I don't know if you can say oh that's what happens to every ambitious woman because most ambitious women in the public eye are not in fact awful. So I wonder about that parallel. What's awful about Tracy? Well, she's she's abrasive. She's self entitled. <laughs> she doesn't. She she holds everybody. These are coded up. words that dudes use against women who they don't like. Well, no, but but she seems to, she 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 seems to, there's not a single moment in this movie in which Tracy Flick ever does anything or has, like we know where you're thinking, a kind or generous thought to no, any other human being. No, she doesn't do anything for anybody else ever. We don't, the movie, but that's, I think, a, a function of the movie and who wrote it, oddly enough, which is a weird thing to say about a character that is yes. purely fictional. <laughs> but we we see sort of like in montage her being really active and working really hard for the school but we, because of the framing of this movie, sort of only see her zeroing in on this idea of winning the election. But she's there on the weekend putting the yearbook together, which is yeah. basically working hard in service of the rest of the school. She does all these committees and does all these other things to make the school a better place. Like, she's doing the work. She's putting in the work. In the context of the election, she seems a little bit like she's got blinders on about winning. But she thinks she deserves to win because she has actually worked really hard and will continue to work really hard, a la a Hillary Clinton, who's like, no, don't you guys understand how much I just want to do this job? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, are you arguing that you could make a movie about Tracy Flick, the same fictional character, from a different lens, from a different perspective, in which she does and says the same things, but she'd come across more likable and more sincere about wanting to help and do work for the school? Because it's the way it's presented in this movie. 
everything she does, all that service is all about her own ambition. If she does X, Y, Z, I mean, as, as Tammy says in her speech, it's all about padding your resume. That's exactly and overtly what Tracy Flick is doing. Well, I think part of it is the double standard around like if a, if Paul were like that in this movie, would we find him to be insufferable or would we just be like, oh, yeah, that's just what oh, a politician speak, does. Speaking as you speaking know? as a guy who was if if I'm like anybody in this movie, I'm 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 sort of a male Tracy Flick because I was padding my resume a mm-hmm. lot during high school to get into a good school. And I, I would say, yes, Paul would be equally as obnoxious if he behaved the way that uh, Tracy Flick does in this movie. I don't know that he would. But I mean, the other thing I'll say, I think uh, the character in Booksmart, I forget, Beanie Feldstein's character, I think she kind of has some Tracy Flick vibes and she's totally likable. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Well, she, oh, yeah. But, And I think it's just about like wholly representing and, and having some new ideas about what an ambitious woman, especially an ambitious young woman can look like. Right. Except... There's a huge difference between Beanie and Tracy. And I agree with you. Beanie is a similar character, but much more likable. I'm sorry. Beanie's not the character. Beanie's the actress. Beanie Feldstein. Mm-hmm. Her character has a dear friend who she cares about. And, and that in and of itself makes her a likable and relatable human being. Tracy doesn't have any friends. and Yeah, we don't see Tracy really interact with anyone but Mr. M., she talks about that. Well, I don't really have a lot. I'm not, I, it's, it's not, I, she says something to the effect of, it's not really important for me to have friends. I'm more interested in other things. And you're like, oh, girl. Oh, you poor girl. Tell yourself that. But, but yeah, that, that to me is much more sad than like unlikable. You know? No, I know. It, it is. And I think that there is sympathy for Tracy in the movie, for the, the person that she's both is and that she was forced to become by what we find out is a pretty monstrous mother. Um, but it, it she, you, we can have sympathy. I have, I have tremendous sympathy for everybody. I even have sympathy for the dumb math teacher who had the affair. Cause God, oh, that's sad. She was, she, she wants to read my novel. You haven't written a novel. He's a very He's pathetic extraordinarily person. pathetic and awful and he deserves what gets to him, but I still have sympathy for him. And I have sympathy for Tracy, even though she's kind of awful too. I think that that's one of the great things about the movie. It makes you feel sympathy because it presents awful, awful people as humans. It is it is interesting to think that if there had been like one more scene that maybe was even on the mm-hmm. cutting room floor, like you wonder if they even shot it where like, for example, when she does her speech, she she does the sort of um, very trite political speech thing where she's like, I'm just a single mother in Ohio who said that this is what <laughs> yeah. she needs, you know, and she does that about like yep, two kids totally. in the school and it comes off as super hollow yeah. and very hilarious in that moment. But if we had even like a single scene of her doing something for someone like you know like if one of those people was like her friend for example like beanie has a friend in Booksmart, or if it was even just like her looking out for a freshman who looked sort of lost in the halls or something like some moment of her doing anything other than trying to win the yeah. election yeah and but you you don't but in a in a farcical way we the audience never mm-hmm. see that because we're either seeing things through mr m's eyes and he thinks huh. she's a monster or we're seeing only like they're, they're sort of 2D characters, which is part of what makes it funny. But like no one I don't think is as simple as as Paul's inner monologue and no one is as insane as Tracy's. <laughs> so speaking of Paul's inner monologue, I kind of want to end with with his reflection on things at the end, because I just thought it was very funny and it's a great note to end on. Senior year was great. 
Sure, I didn't get to play ball or be president, but I got elected homecoming king and prom king. I got into Nebraska like I wanted and early rushed Fidel's. And at the end of the year, me and my buddies threw a bitchin' Mexican party down at the cement plant. Shit, that was a good party. The only really bad thing about senior year was Lisa. Right before Christmas, she dumped me. One minute, she's totally in love with me, and then boom, she goes after my football buddy, Randy. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I'd actually won the election. Maybe my whole life would be different. Like I might never have gone to Yosemite with Greg and Travis. Or maybe I'd be dead. Or maybe I'd be dead. And the way after hearing the voiceover that the actor Chris Klein turns to the camera and just says those last words out loud is both really funny and really chilling. And I can't explain why. It's almost as if I know you've been watching me this whole time oh as God. part of it. I, I, I just it's love that moment, and I can't explain why I do. It's perfect. It's just, yeah, I thought it was a pretty great movie. Also, just ni- 1999 asterisk, let's not call it a Mexican party. Yes, right? exactly. You know. Although oh, yeah. I think that was intentional. The whitest of right. white people in Nebraska throwing a Mexican party. Ooh. Yeah. And I, I love the fact maybe I wouldn't have gone to Yosemite with my two buds. As if that's... People Im- we've never met. Yeah, but it's like, he's so like, oh, my life, the important things in my life. Oh, yeah, like I went to Yosemite with my friends. We had a great time. That's that was perfect. very important. He's just, he is who he is to the bitter end, and I love him for it. I, I wish I could find out if Michael Schur, uh was really influenced by this movie, because I'm now realizing that Paul is totally an Andy Dwyer. And, well, and like, uh, Tracy Tracy's Blake and a Leslie, Leslie Nope. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, oh, there's a lot. I'm sure. There's a lot there. I am sure people have written about that. And maybe even Michael Schur has written about it because definitely, I mean, you could look at Leslie Nope as as the good version of Tracy Flick, as, as who was, tra- she's Tracy Flick, but unlike, as we were just talking about Tracy Flick, Tracy Flick never thinks about anybody else. She's always focused on her own ambition. I don't think and- that necessarily makes her a bad person. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I would say, like, the definition of a good person is how much regard do they have for other people's well-being. And, and of course, Leslie Nope, who I adore as a fictional character and as an icon, that's all. I mean, she's officious and she's impatient and she's she considers herself rightfully to be the smartest person in the room. But it's all about making other people's lives better, which is why we love Leslie. Friends waffles work. Exactly. Or waffles friends work, but work is third. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On that note, this has been a pleasure. We'll see y'all next week. Can I ask you a question? Why are you even running for office? You know what? I need something to do to get my dad off my back. This seemed easy. What about you? Why are you doing it? Who's your dad? I'm running for office because I want to improve the lives of the people that I love in the city that's the greatest city in the world. What? What does that even mean? (laughs) Oh, my God. I love Leslie Nope so much. You know who else I love? Tracy Flick. I think she is great. And pretty much I'm saying this right now because Peter and Trisha are gone and I can have the last word because I produced this show along with Justin Bull. Our intern is Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And our theme music is composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. We will see you next week for Boys Don't Cry. If you've got any feelings or stories about that movie, send us a voicemail. Just record yourself on your phone and email the audio to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. Thanks. See you soon.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.